0: Welcome back to Jokerman. I'm Ian. Just Ian today for this very special episode. A couple months ago, some of you may remember, we sat down to remember J.R. White and the work that he did on the first Girls' Record album. It was, uh... Difficult conversation at times, but I think ultimately, you know, pretty pretty rewarding conversation. Uh, certainly for me, and and based on some of the feedback we got, I, I think for some of you out there as well. Uh, by hook or by crook, it ended up um, actually making it to the other half of girls, Chris, the one and only Christopher Owens, and uh, he had some very kind words for us online on Twitter. Uh, It was really, you know, just a great thing to hear. And after that, actually some of you might know, Evan uh, ended up booking Chris, you know, bringing him down from San Francisco to Los Angeles to perform at a reading series at Stories Bookstore there on Sunset Boulevard. And now here we are, you know, another month later in the new year, um, and I was so privileged, so fortunate to be able to actually sit down uh, with Chris on the eve of his departure, it turns out, from San Francisco, and, um, you know, just talk to him, ask him questions that had been stewing in the back of my mind for certainly well over a decade at this point, probably going on close to two, really. And Chris was exactly what you would expect. He was so raw and real and warm and generous. Wouldn't you know it, the same guy who made such raw and real and warm and generous music, he's hes the exact same person in person. So what you're about to hear is a conversation, an interview between myself and Chris it does get, you know, it's it's it can be heavy at times. There's no two ways about it. But I think ultimately it is a really beautiful and hopeful kind of conversation um, about life in the music business, life in San Francisco, life in these days and times. One note in advance, it will sound a little shaggy, a little hairy, a little loose, a little in the room. Chris and I met at... Uh, the great Orphan Andes here in San Francisco on 17th, one of really the only 24-hour spots in this entire city for whatever reason. We actually get into a few of those um, in the episode. All of which is to say, you know, it sounds like two guys sitting across the table at a diner, one random evening, because that's exactly what it is, so do try to look past some of the crowd noise, some of the clanging cash registers, some of the music over the stereo, fortunately we didn't have a jukebox at our command, so there's going to be a little more Carrie Underwood, a little more Dave Matthews in this episode than you might expect from the Jokerman, but if you can get beyond that, I think it's a really beautiful, like I said, raw, real emotional Genuine conversation that I hope you enjoy listening to as much as I enjoyed having. So, without any further ado, here's Chris. <laughs> top yeah. One, yeah and you're the bottom one there <laughs> bah, bah, bah. there you go you're a professional with a microphone you know what you're yeah. doing you know your way. mine looks a little quieter <laughs> it's probably the first time i've sat at a table in a diner talking into a microphone but yeah think you know, people should do it more often it does more, the job yeah. i think it's good anyways we were talking a little bit a moment ago but uh so you're you're planning to leave uh san francisco right
1: yeah it's and you're crazy. headed uh headed to new york yep so i mean uh a big, 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 big deal. Like, couldn't go farther away.
0: If you try, basically in, in yeah. America, anyway, stay, stay in the country. Exactly. Yeah, in the country.
1: So yeah, it's crazy, but I, I can, I can say with, I can say with full uh, conviction that I, I tried my hardest to stay here.
0: Tried your hardest to stay in San Francisco. You mean?
1: Yeah, I mean I'm not. Nobody can call me any kind of like ship jumper or, or anything like that. Right. I mean, it was like maybe seven, seven or eight years ago when OCs left and Ty Seagal left and, and everybody was just leaving. And, uh, I was pretty vocal about like how that was a bad idea. Right. And like how I would never do that. So, you know. You, I mean and you stuck it out. Yeah. Yeah, i just i just basically I've just reached a point where I can't I can't do it anymore. Right. So, it's got to be done. What uh as I mean, far as like to like be productive, you know. Right. What uh
0: I mean, you said you've been here since like 2005, right? Yeah. What like how how would you characterize the difference in the city today versus uh, where it was when you showed up?
1: Well, when I showed up um I like. I was coming from like the Texas Plains, Texas, you know, right? like yeah. flat cattle grazing land, uh, nothing for miles. There's ne- neighbor cities called like Plainview and like, <laughs> you know, Cow town. nothing. Yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, it was the first thing that struck me was like how beautiful it was, and obviously it still is. You know, it's sure. it's a hell of a city. It's a, you know, like 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 a certain filmmaker would say about New York. It's a it's a knockout. You know. <laughs> a certain filmmaker I still love, but some people don't. But um, yeah, it's a it's a gem of a city. It's beautiful. But the thing that really really hooked me, like I, I got here and I used to just walk around. Taking pictures of people's gardens and like, uh, flowers outside the houses and, and stuff. Just like the nature, yeah, yeah. like the, the hills. And it was like night and day from what I had, had been living in for like nine years in Texas. Sure. Um, but even that, even with all that, after like six months, I started kind of having a breakdown because I hadn't met anybody yet. And I was like, I was just doing i was going to riding the train an hour and a half to and then an hour and a half from so 3 hours of my day commuting for work jeez where so you were commuting out of the city yeah out, yeah out and back you know yeah uh, to san mateo sure on the train so you know it was just like 3 hours of my day i would read it was fine but uh, i went i would go to this one bookstore in my neighborhood that had free jazz concerts and i loved it It was amazing a tiny little bookstore and like every friday night have these old jazz guys come and play standards and like it was just amazing free you know totally free you walk in and the, the owner eric was like the coolest guy and i have like an amazing batch of photos from all that like i took sure. pictures of, of all that would be great to look at at some point but it was a lovely thing, but I found that, and uh, not much else. Like I would, I would go through the Guardian and go to everything I saw that looked cool or looked interesting, looked was free, and I was just like, it was, it was all like a strikeout. Like, I was like, ugh, like hate, hated this, hated that, hated that, and I was like trying to feel like maybe I put too much faith in the big city, you know, because I thought I was coming coming somewhere to find, like, everything that I was missing in Amarillo. Sure. And I was ready to leave. But then I met this girl, Liza, basically the group of people that would become my friends. And overnight came into, like, the scene that, that I would start to hang out in for right. the next 10, 15 years. And, and uh, that really is what kept me here. And that was amazing. You know, it, it was like... You couldn't walk through the mission for more than three blocks in an evening and not find a house party or run into somebody every time you, you went to get a coffee and find out about something to do or like just just shows all the time, bands everywhere. It's a little community, little village. Yeah, people like interested in being cool and like you know, basically the basically the the, the mindset was like people were hungry and interested and driven to hang out with each other. And, and find, you know, the things in life that can't be found through, like, getting a good job and having money in the bank. Right. And planning your children and planning your pet and, and uh, you know, having a social contract with your spouse. Where if you fight more than three times in a week, you both take a out <laughs> So, you you know, bullshit that, that is now, like, the, the fucking Bible that right. everybody lives by. Right. And, yeah, so, you know, when thing when girls happened, that was probably like the peak of the of like that scene here, and nothing but great people I mean probably had like three hundred great friends right which just sounds crazy to say, but really was like that, and did nothing but spending spend time with each other all the time right it was like paradise for me um so that's like so, yeah. two thousand eight, two thousand nine, kind of. time? Yeah, or even yeah, earlier, even earlier, two thousand
0: seven. Because right. you were in Holy Shit until two thousand six,
1: yeah. two thousand seven, right? I was in Holy Holy Shit till probably about two thousand eight. Two thousand eight.
0: Yeah. Okay. I mean, so like right before I didn't realize it was like right before Girls. I thought that oh, was yeah, like yeah, yeah, no, okay. it
1: was, it was before and and in the beginning. Oh wow. okay. Yeah. Um. But we didn't we didn't like get our record our first record finished. And signed the deal until 2009, so... Okay. There was like a, a good year or two, year and a half where we were playing here. Right. And and known on the internet, and, and it was like a thing in California, but uh, we hadn't really gotten off the ground yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw you was, I guess, I mean, you, you might have listened to that podcast that we did about yeah. the first album. but was, in, in L.A. Were at the El Rey, opening for Los that Campesinos. Show, yeah.
1: that was like our first big U.S. tour. Yeah. Because they were label mates from... Uh, True Panther, UK label. Okay, our UK label. Yeah, got it.
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, it was an amazing show, and I had just zero idea of who you guys were, yeah. or like what it was yeah, going to yeah. be, and you just fucking <laughs> blew my mind.
1: I think I think that that band Magic or Magic something Magic Kids. Yes, Magic Kids. They yeah. were playing. They were playing right in the venue. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I saw the 7-inch from Magic Kids. Gonna marry her anyway. Yeah, exactly. Love that song. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know what ever happened to those guys. I totally remember that show. They, they were I, great. I took a Polaroid picture with one of the girls from uh, those campesinos, the violin player. Oh. The babe. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> And I have a, like, I look like a, a, a ragamuffin, like a, like a skinny Chucky doll <laughs> with cowboy boots on. That's a good look. And she's like this, you know, great European girl with a violin. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, it was a cool show I remember that whole tour was really cool just because I had never done anything It was like our first US tour right and I hadn't I hadn't experienced like uh, just the, the, the fans really like the kids that would show the up people coming it was out amazing yeah and that, and that never really went away you guys i
0: remember i mean i saw you guys like i don't know must have been 10 or 15 times just in the yeah. you know two three years wow. um and just like every show from you guys opening at los campesinos to like playing FYF or like great yeah. american music hall up here
1: yeah FYF just, was amazing yeah everyone i was remember just that
0: in love with you guys it, it was is... like our
1: first sunset uh festival like big stage right slot like up until then we'd only played in the sunlight you know like where all the bands lows once to the play in. once the sun starts going down, that's when wow. you know you're making you, it. <laughs> yeah. And we had the girls with the backup singers with us. Oh yeah, with the with the uh, flower, the bouquets like on yeah. the mic stand. Yeah, and it stuff. was like the first. That was the first like home run. That was show, incredible stuff. Like festival show for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, basically, uh, when the people left, or you know, the, the big the big thing that happened was uh, the the mayor at the time Ed Lee. This is before London Breed. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Ed Lee decides to give tech companies four years of no tax if they'll move to San Francisco, hmm. like from Silicon Valley, hmm. and have their headquarters here and uh, their employees here because that's going to be great for the economy. I'm trying to get so. a bunch of tech people up here. So, of course, they take that. Four years of no tax for companies that big is a huge, sure. huge deal. Which is like, I don't know why the hell he... like the city needed that money but also just the results of it were, were, were catastrophic like so that you know twitter get, buys that building downtown Down and the like market, yeah. everybody does it everybody moves moves here apple google so they're like four years of no no taxes and they're you know they're hiring like the countries and even outside the countries like smartest high you know college uh, graduates and like they're all getting like pretty good salaries and um so they're like these guys don't fuck around like they get a job like that and it's like hundreds maybe even thousands of them if you think of all the companies yeah just suddenly boom moving here and and they're like buying houses they're buying like units where like you know Twenty of us lived in before. Right, <laughs> they're buying the, that for for one, two just people for themselves. Or yeah. Like them and their their girlfriend, or right. a, you know, their dog, and like that just starts happening like really fast. Property, it, the rents just are because you know like less places on the market. Sure, to rent, everything's doubling and doubling and doubling, and uh, you know they 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 like they got. Within like a year, you start to see bottom of the hill has to relocate like the club because yeah. because the noise is bothering people that have recently bought properties there and like yeah. all kinds of venues shutting down. All my friends, you know, basically every time I would see somebody, it would be like, "Oh yeah, I got to get out of here. I can't afford to live here." Uh, yeah, rents, you know, go from like a typical eight hundred dollars a month to twenty five hundred a Thousands. month. You yeah. Know and so yeah people are just like running as fast as they can to, to go to LA or you know maybe Austin or you know wherever it is New yeah. York and yeah i i mean my reaction was like don't like please don't you know stay here like Stick i loved out. what we had and i knew like if people left that would it would it would just it would just die you know like uh and everybody was like oh, you know new people come here and I thought I thought maybe that was true but still not the same you know like right. I, we're talking about like my best friends people I really 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 loved it was really hard to see them go but I was kind of protected cuz so I lived in the same place for a long time with my girlfriend our rent was was still 750 each Damn. you know
0: uh what neighborhood were you in, if you don't mind me asking? And like
1: by, uh, by the hate, by by Golden sure. Gate Park, by the Panhandle part. You know, they, yeah, yeah. Call it, they call it north of the Panhandle. Right, that's the like the bike path right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're kind of close to UCSF. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just very, very fast. Very quickly changed, and uh and then you know by the time I kind of had a reality check, we're like. I suddenly had to leave, vacate the apartment and try to start, try to find a new place to rent and, uh, you know, kind of look around at who is still here and, you know, not just spend time with my girlfriend all the time because we split up. I suddenly realized, like, damn, hardly anybody's here and and I couldn't afford to rent anywhere. I found one place that I lived in for, like, six months and then I was out of money. And, like, uh, over the next two years of that then then i had zero friends here so the difference for me is is like total you know right i still love the city like i did when i moved here it's still probably one of the best places you could ever live but but if you and if you populate it with people that i mean yeah because, I mean not only did it did it uh, drive out anybody who whose agenda was like the what I was talking about earlier you sure. know like sort of looking for other things in life than like than than pursuing you know the standards house and money and whatever marriage right you know like fervently above all else right um, if you don't if you're not doing that here anymore you, you might you might not be able to make it you know right because that's your competition um but then also as a side as a a byproduct of that you got all these people here from a lot of them you know if they are from the states they're like they've grown up in like very different neighborhoods than what you find here or anywhere in in a non-urban area sure and they've never seen you know some of the things that go on on the street level around here, right? Uh, so then they're, they're very scared of it, you know. They're, they yeah. come here from like whatever bubble they were in, and, and then their college bubble, and then now they've got like they've just gotten a, a great salary, and they're they've got the the horse race blinders on, right? They're going for their goal, and any little schmo coming out on the <laughs> in, on the side is just like a threat, you right. know, right? So, you know, suddenly uh, probably about a million. Security cameras were probably sold here in that time because right. suddenly every every place has them. Even the doorbells and stuff with yeah, the video the cameras in and shit. Yeah, just the culture change. Like you could before you could kind of go out to coffee shop and like get your coffee, stander outside and smoke it. Now you're gonna have somebody come and be like, "Don't smoke there," like I can no. smell it in my place, or like, "Why are you standing here on my on my building? What are you up to?" Right. If you look like me, I you know then, this, this uh, people call the police on me. People assume crazy things i suddenly you know walking into a levi's store where like they've been they've been licensing music of mine to like sell their jeans sure i walk in and the salesperson is like get out you know we don't want any any uh trouble in here like and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about oh, man. i'm not trouble i'm like i'm a superhero here like i achieved the american dream here i came here from from Texas, you know, I'm, I'm James Dean, where I struck oil and giant, you know, I'm, a, I'm the man. And you're telling me to move out? Like, I've got to flash money at you or something? Like, and it, it just was happening everywhere. Like, it shocked me at first, but it doesn't anymore. Right. So, I mean, the, the, the change is total. It's like out with your friends, in with a new group of people that doesn't understand you and is very suspicious of you. And, uh, and then. The pandemic only, only uh, made it worse. Made the, the homeless situation much worse because, you know, states around here like Arizona, Nevada, are not as liberal. They're not as you know, if you if you have drugs on you, you're going to jail. Right, if right, you're right. Lounging around, you're going to jail. Right. You, if you commit a a, a bur- uh, petty theft, theft in or a store, like you're that. going to jail. Yeah, yeah. So. By the thousands, everybody comes here California. where the weather is wonderful, and you can, you know, the, the the laws are I think rightly morally lenient, but but not not able to handle a sudden influx, right, of that much. So it's just been chaos. Um, and you know, I refuse to like go and, and change, like who I am. You know, it's not even that big of a deal. Like, I don't make go out of my way to look dirty or something, but I just look how I look. And to most people, it's like, oh, here comes a homeless junkie or, you know, whatever. And and they don't want you around. Or just cross the street while you're walking with them. Just do all the things that are really actually more hurtful than I I realized before they started happening to me. Like, you know, you you hear the car lock go off while you're walking next to a car. Yeah. I mean, when, when ladies start to cross the street rather than pass me on the street or move their purse to the other side. It looks like a stab in the in the chest, you know. But but especially added with like, oh, I've lost all my friends. I've lost my home. I don't. For the first time, I don't have a record deal. Just because like I I had done I fulfilled my old one. And sure, sure. Nobody's doing record deals right now. Right. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've just been broken up with a a nine year relationship where we were truly best friends, and she hadn't really explained it to me yet. You know. Now we're okay, but at the time I was like in a tailspin. So, yeah, the city's—it quickly became my hell, you know. So that's why I'm leaving. Sure, <laughs> yeah, understand. That's the difference. Th- that's the difference that's happened. Man, I think though know, it's really important. Like, like for me, the thing I would tell anybody, like, wherever you live, like if you have friends, keep them close. You know, right? Because even this is my ideal place to live, and without friends around you're lost you're totally lost
0: man um well I'm glad you're (laughs) I'm glad you're sticking it out at least yeah Going back to, like, you know, early girls kind of days and yeah. stuff, you and um, Chet, how would you guys just fall in with one another?
1: Uh, well, we did right away. Like, so I I went from coming here from Texas not knowing anybody to right. basically I got – I was walking in in the park and this girl, Liza, started yelling at me from across the park. Hey, come over here. Like, I ah. And I did. She was like a lot to handle, Liza. Yeah, she's (laughs) she's a legend. She's amazing. And I was like, whoa, like she's just like ah. And um, you know, being herself. And I was like, okay, you know. And I met her friends there, and uh, but she, you know, she was like, come to this party tonight, and I went and. I think that was the first time I met J.R., was, was immediately. But even aside from that, like, I just started hanging out with, with Liza a lot. And we eventually she eventually, became, she eventually like, moved into my place. And sure. We went out for, like, two years. But Jr. was, like, just one of her good friends. Sure. And uh, it was, like, you know, like a group of maybe six of us. She had this other high school, you know, bestie. Laura Sutro, um, you know the Sutro family, like Sutro Tower, yeah, Sutro Baz Yeah, yeah she's everything. like a Sutro. Yeah, and uh, so they were like, you know, Paris and and uh, and, Nick, and Nikki Nicole or whatever. Sure. <laughs> <They're> literally. <laughs> but uh, Jr. was going out with 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 Laura. Her is that is that Laura? Yeah, that's Laura. So he was, like, her boyfriend at one point. Sure. He just was always around, and he was a cool guy. He was really quiet, really, like, very different from the rest of us. He was kind of, like, a very stable, hardworking chef. Was a chef. Yeah. He was a very good chef. He worked at Zuni down there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I remember, like, he would go... One of the first things I remembered about him was like, he went to, on vacation to Japan by himself just for no reason. Just, just to, like, eat Japanese food and at food the time, like, for me, that was like, whoa, that's a big, like, that's cool. <laughs> people didn't, uh, you know, people didn't really do that in Texas. Yeah, it? I can imagine. Um, but, like, he was, a, he was just a cool guy. And as I, like, became better friends, like, as I started to go out with Liza and, like, became more of a fixture in the local scene, JR just would always be around where I was around and like various times when I would get in t- some kind of trouble or something JR would be there to like smash somebody in the face or like and that's basically what he was to me he was like a sort of he, he was you know we'd, we'd go out to like uh, have like a, a weekend together with friends and he would he'd be the guy cooking and right. just like a really nice older yeah, turns out we're the same age I'm actually older than him but he seemed older yeah definitely he was, like, very protective, and he, w- he wouldn't talk a lot. He'd listen. And, but then uh, at one point, he needed a place to live, and I had my, the room next to mine. Mm-hmm. It was actually the same room. There was, like, French doors that yeah, turned they it into two together. rooms. closed together. Yeah, yeah, But that other place was for rent, and he moved in. And uh, he started to hear me in the, in the other room trying to record on my four-track mm-hmm. the songs that would on the first album sure and I think he listened for a couple of weeks and then and I'd be like fuck man. he'd always be like takes and then I'd just be like turn it off and be like fuck this is shit you know and, and then one day he just came in and he was like you know I went to audio engineering school and I was like no I didn't know that and a chef why and would an I audio know, engineer like, why would I know that like, <laughs> um, but he had and, and like he was really into it and he's like I'll help you out so he we did a little bit more on the four track together right and but then he was like Oh, if we really want to do this correctly, we gotta spend some money and get like a nicer machine. Getting this, okay. So we we spent like six hundred dollars together. We both split and bought this like reel-to-reel Omari uh, one and a half inch tape machine. It sounded a lot better, and then that then we started to make the actual recordings that would be on the records and stuff. And and then he, uh, you know, as that as those recordings started to turn out better. He was like, you know, we could really we could really do a lot with you know, we could go all the way with this. Right. If we you know, if you wanted to have a band and I was like he was like I, I said like, Well are you gonna you wanna be in it? And He's like, Yeah, I'll be in it I'll play bass. He plays bass, so he he joined as a bass player and we changed the name from the original curls it to It was Curls Girl, yeah. and then it
0: became Girls, right? yeah.
1: Yeah. That was his idea though. He he came up with girls. Going from curls yeah. to girls. Because I was, I made all the artwork already, and it was very literal, like, like if I was writing about a certain girl, I would take her picture and make the artwork as if we were making records. With, you know, sure, sure. Online. <laughs> and uh, and he, you know, looking at the, the aesthetic that I was kind of making, Red. he was like, we should just call it Girls. And uh, I liked it because it sounded like curls Still and... So we went with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I know
0: on the like the Gatefold, of the first yeah. record, there's every song has a yeah. corresponding girl yeah. in sort of a square photo yeah. with the title beneath each. Yeah, it's just such a fantastic. I had a I was wondering about that actually, like if you were kind of the. Well, because
1: they were like seven inch covers. Yeah, exactly. Looked, yeah, some of them never became, but yeah, there's yeah. I got the Lust for Life yeah. seven
0: inch, and I got the uh, Hellhole Rat Race yeah. ten inch. I think.
1: Yeah. So the rest of them, I just finished the rest of them as if you know, maybe they would, you know, if if they were a seven inch, what they would look like.
0: It's a very striking, you know,
1: that the, I mean, there's so much that's perfect about girls, but like just
0: the way it all looked and kind of the cohesiveness behind it was so.
1: Yeah. People around the world were like, had different ideas of what the photos were. Like, who are these girls? Very like surprised when, you know, like, these are all like my best friends. Right. Yeah. It seems so clear. that It was just like like, important people people you love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah.
0: Damn. So, so you guys just kind of fell into working together.
1: Yeah, just because of living next to each other and him right. having the the background in it and wanting to do it. And, I mean, I was determined to get it done, but if he hadn't have done that, I might have. I was like getting. Uh, I was already playing with with holy shit. So, like Ariel was talking about doing it for a little while. It, right. It could have turned out to be a different, totally different thing. Right. But yeah. Because he wanted to do it and, and could do it, and, so you guys yeah. did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just—I mean, we wouldn't even—we never even talked about doing it. Or, right. You know, like we never even thought about playing shows or, or a record deal. We just our goal is to put the songs on MySpace and have people like them
0: on MySpace, Tam.
1: And from there, people elsewhere thought, "Oh, it's—it's it's a band." Right. Because there's a MySpace band. Right.
0: And it was just the two so, of you the whole time. Yeah.
1: So it was kind of. Yeah, when we got our first show, we, we just reached out to other guys from other bands that we knew here, and asked, and, and you know, you just got them together, here.
0: dude. Yeah. And did they become like I know John Anderson obviously was in the band for a while. Uh, John
1: they- John was from L.A. He came later, and we wanted him to stay, right? But he it didn't work out for him emotionally or something. Sure. But um, but I mean, in my mind, John is like. One of the original members. Part of the band, yeah. But, because, well, he was the only person that joined from the outside that, we didn't, that was, like, joining should uh, be in the band. You know, like, everybody else was somebody in a band that we knew here. And we'd ask them, can you just play this show? Right. Or can you, as much as you can, play? And we knew none of them would stay, you know. John was the only, like, the only person really ever that we were like, please be in our band. You're in girls. Please You're be. part of girls. Yeah.
0: yeah. Where was your first show?
1: It was at Cafe du Nord.
0: Cafe du Nord.
1: Sold out, mania, like one of the best, like as good of as of any other, sh- you know, the first show was like uh, as good as any show we ever had. I can imagine. It's amazing.
0: Man. So, was that 2008? Yeah. Maybe. Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Must have been. Yeah. Before the record came out.
1: Yeah. It could have been still 2007 even, but I'm not sure. Wow. Okay. I should know that, but I
0: don't. Yeah, you know, dates are dates is what it is. Um, but so you guys eventually, like the record, you put the record together in the studio. Yeah, well,
1: no, I mean, we just kept making, we just kept making tracks for MySpace.
0: Just individual songs.
1: Yeah, and, and then, then
0: eventually it, they became the record.
1: Once we had labels, like once we once we were basically signing a deal, then we, then we. Went to finish the rest of it, right? Compile it as an album, and we went to Seattle to mix it all at a nice studio, and all that. Got it. But yeah, it, we just kept on song by song. Kept doing you know? it, yeah. And then, it, I mean, and then it came out, and
0: like pretty much right away, seemed to like catch like wildfire with people.
1: Yeah, I mean, because because the you know, we had gone to like play in South by Southwest, and like, and and you know, talked to labels and made our deal and, and done tours. Before there was a record at all, so right, right. by the time the record came out, yeah, I mean people were people already people were waiting for it. They were
0: aware of it, yeah.
1: I mean, we had to go do half half the record to get it done, sure. Just to because we were already signed, sure,
0: know? sure. Did the way that it was received, fans and like critically from like music industry, like people, did that surprise you at all?
1: Um, what surprised me was like. I thought people would make fun of the, the sort of sincerity and earnestness. You thought they would make fun of it. Yeah, I thought people would. But, well, see, the whole point of our of each the the songs, the whole point of what we did, period. Right. Was to make songs that mattered. You know, like we were tired of every band, every band we knew played like noise rock or some kind of aesthetic. You know, like some kind of something cool, like. And like a cool sound. Right. That, that was the agenda. Right. For us, we wanted them to be songs that people would sing on their own. Like, remember the melody. Like, have a melody. Like, have lyrics that meant something. You know, it's, like I would play songs for Jr. Like that I liked, and be like, this is this is like what I want to write. Like, like you know, like this is this is the point for me. You know. And we we bonded over the Op Ivy album. Like, that was, like, we wanted it to be like that, where it was, mm-hmm. like, that good, where, like, every 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 generation goes out and buys that record. Right. Because it's just one of those records you have to have. It. We wanted to make a record like that, like the Off-Ivy record, where, you know, there's no, if you listen to that, you know, these kids singing about unity in a basement, like, they're earnest as hell. Sure. And you can make fun of that record, too. So, I mean, that, that's, that was what I thought it was. I thought, you know, we were going to make beautiful music, and, and I could gauge from the react, from reaction uh, that people got it. Right. And we're responding, like, the way pop music makes you respond. But I thought, like, the sort of... I, To be honest with you, I'm jumping around a little bit here, but... Please, no. i never heard of Pitchfork in my life, but the, con- <laughs> the concept of a Pitchfork for right, me right. at that time... Right. ...would be people that I thought would have made fun of the album. Sure. So so the fact that all those types of people loved it wasn't... Surprise for me because I thought they'd sort of be like, "Oh, look at you know." I don't know. They, I think they call names or something.
0: Like right. Yeah, look how lame these guys are. They're, they actually not care lame, about but something. but
1: just like, like you know, they're all whiny emo kind of stuff. Right. I don't know. We we didn't. I, I was. I didn't care. You right. Know, like we just we just weren't expecting everybody to love it. Everyone. I, I love thought it. just like certain people that really knew. Well, you know, like understood us as people, right. close friends would would love it. Right. Like I just wanted Ariel and Matt to love it, and, to love you know, it. Like, you know, things like that. Yeah. And uh, but but when we started to play shows and the actual kids we'd meet, like that made total sense. Like I and I, I just didn't I didn't have a mind for it. Like I didn't imagine. But when I when I would go to see them and meet them outside and like sign their records. It was like, yeah, these are my people. Like sure. I remember these kids from being a punk kid in Amarillo like like out in the middle of nowhere. Right. You were one of these yeah, kids. Yeah, like it was like I remember I had this really good friend. She was really cool and like she had a band herself and like a very hip girl and Right. One time she was looking at her MySpace and pulling up fans of hers and making fun of them. Like, look at her hair. Like, look at that t-shirt, you know, blah blah, blah t-shirt right. of this band and that band and I, 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 no lie like I it was just me and her and I was like, How dare you like how dare you I was like these kids are sitting in some shit town wanting to slash their fucking wrist because they hate their parents, they hate their school, they hate their lives and they they're looking at you on the internet like dreaming to one day maybe like you know, get their life to that you know, that's Level, their you're yeah. their goal and like you're sitting here laughing, making fun of them. Yeah, you know? but basically, point of telling that story is like, yeah, when I met those kids, it was I, I knew we were doing something right. You know, right. Like, I never want the fan base to, to, to change from that. I mean, obviously, not everybody's. They can be like very sensible older people or whatever. Sure, <laughs> to like it, <laughs> but like you don't have to be like slashing your wrists or something, or you know, terribly afraid of coming out or whatever it is. Right, right, right. Like, But but the fact that that was our scene, I, I was like, I knew we were doing something right. Right. So it was a surprise, but it was also a, a confirmation. And it, it just felt really good, you know? Yeah. To be able to go tour. I mean, it, it was a dream come true. I mean, a dream that I never even had. Yeah. had, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I had it in like an abstract way for something, you know? Sure. One day I want to... I want people to, to like like me, you know? <laughs> but I didn't know in that way. You know, right. I, I I truly never had like rock star posters on my wall when I was a kid. Not I something didn't understand you were, like that, you know?
0: working towards or like dreaming of from a young yeah, age. Yeah,
1: I just didn't know about it even. You
0: know? right. And so it just happened. Yeah. for you what all the attention all of the well, shit on, people talking online all of the expectations much, no. no
1: like there nobody really talks shit online the only times everybody has I've talked to them and they've been like I'm sorry yeah. I was wrong <laughs> nobody's ever like that's good I've never been you know dragged online that's it good it just doesn't happen yeah. was actually really I never was like a name in the me too thing or something sure. Like <laughs> it, it just doesn't happen that's good I had a friend be like aren't you scared I'm like no buddy I'm not scared like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't like do weird shit so right yeah, nothing but, to be scared of
1: but there there were things the, the things that bummed me out were not being able to put the band not being able to have the band that we wanted to have right um, eventually in the long run sort of feeling like I got got taken advantage of by or or not taken advantage of but just sort of lied to by label management people. Yeah. Like I thought they were my really good friends. And turned out yeah, it was very easy for them to just be like bye. Yeah. Or they would say things like you know I'll always be here for you. <laughs> but uh you know, not that was nothing really that bad. It was, yeah. it was really more like only like between individuals, and I don't really like to get into that because like sure, sure, I don't want to ever be like a a VH1 episode of breaking of the band behind the you know, like, music, yeah. Like here's the shitty things that happen in the band, of course, because I want people to remember Girls as the phenomenon that it was, like of course, a, just a perfect thing, you know, absolutely. Like in that way, I'm. I'm glad the way we, we split it up and all that, it never, like, turned into shit. and Right. We never, like, aired our dirty laundry. You know, the, the problems that did happen were just things that anybody is going to go through. Of course. You know, so there, it's no, nothing new. It, you know, everybody knows about these things. Sure. But, um, I don't know. JR and I always stayed, stayed really close friends. I think that's something people don't understand. Yeah, did you guys stay in touch after? Oh yeah, the like, band. There was never like a falling out. It was right. just like time to move on from that. Sure, for me. sure. Um, and and for him too, he just he he wasn't in a position to do what I did. You right. Know? Like he wasn't. He didn't feel like he, he wasn't going to go out and
0: have his own solo career.
1: You yeah. Know? Yeah. He he really wanted to be a studio guy. Like he yeah. wanted to be like a studio producer, and I wish he could have gotten there.
0: Yeah. He produced a couple great records. He did. Yeah. He, there was a, yeah. one of the cast records. I, I remember he did. Tobias was great. Yeah.
1: Um, but all in all, it was a fantastic experience. Like, nothing really that bad. It was just a, sure. It was like much better than anything we'd we'd hope to come from it. You know? Of course.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you when you start, just you're in your room and he's next door, hearing you practice through the walls.
1: Yeah. We we actually broke down that. We actually kicked broke down that wall. So you, you so put your one rooms room. together. Yeah, that's beautiful.
0: <laughs> but when it comes from that, and, like, you didn't ever start with, you know, desire to make a million dollars sort of thing. No, like, never. Like, no. just everything that you get, you're grateful for.
1: Yeah. We split, we split the money evenly and just took what we were offered. Like, sure. Like, the concept of being able to go do that was worse, you know, rather than, than work. I was working at a hotel at the time. Of course. JR was cooking, you know. Why not go on tour instead? So. Sure. And I don't feel like it was a mistake at all. Definitely not. It was, but, I mean, for me, yeah, the ultimate, you know, success of it is, like, it got done. Like, those records are there. Like, the, to me, like, no matter what happens in the future, it's okay, you know? Like That's always the, there. The, yeah. The, the legacy's there, like, forever. Right. Yeah. You know, very happy about that.
0: When you guys did um, Broken Dreams Club. Yeah. Was that, because like, like you were talking about, like the first record just kind of happened eventually after you put together yeah. enough songs that you would record from MySpace and stuff. But Broken Dreams Club, that's your first kind of like post-break record, like after yeah. your name is out there, after people have expectations.
1: Yeah, it was after like the first round of tours. Right. Like I, I think after the first European tour and festival tour.
0: Yeah. And it was out like a year after album was out, yeah. I think, right? It
1: was, basically, it was what it was was like we didn't want to just play the record on tours because that's right. boring. Sure. So we added in six other songs, new and, songs, to have because there were the songs that I had written, right? Like the next songs, you know. So, so we had, yeah, we were playing them live. So we just wanted to do those because people started to know them, and right? Went, and they were ready to do. Um, it was like an EP, but it was longer than an EP, really. Yeah, it's a significant it was like a EP. short album,
0: yeah. Carolina Alone is like seven minutes or something like yeah.
1: that. The reason I called, like, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, record three, like, on the cover, it says yeah. record three. The reason, like, it says record three, uh, because I really wanted people to Dreams just Club think of it e. as, like, three records. Three records, yeah. And, like, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Trinity, is, is also a reference to the three records. Three, right, exactly.
0: I always wondered why Broken Dreams Club was an EP, but if it's just, it's the songs that you guys knew, and you were yeah. playing them live, and those were the songs you had to record, that makes yeah. perfect and we, sense. Yeah, well, we
1: also had tours coming up. It was just something, we only had a little bit of time. Right. And, uh, like, the label, basically, you know, they were they were doing our schedule and all that. Sure. Like, well, you got this little bit of time. Sure. You know, why don't you go do an EP? We're like, okay. Sure. And I think they were expecting, like, four songs. Right. And we did more, so... Yeah,
0: whatever. Easy, yeah, uh. that makes sense. The songs on Broken Dreams Club, like from a sonic level, like sound a lot more kind of like you're going in a lot of different directions. I mean, there were already a ton of different directions on album. Yeah. But Broken Dreams Club really felt like, I mean, going from the oh so protective one to Heartbreaker to Broken Dreams Club, just that three-song run, you're in like three completely different quadrants. And then uh-huh. Carolina's like a whole new world. Yeah. Was that
1: more so than their album? I I,
0: I I don't know. I mean,
1: I feel like that we did that on everything.
0: You did. Maybe it's just the. I, I just I'm always. I was just listening to Broken Dreams Club earlier today because honestly, I think that's my favorite record huh. of the three because cool. it's just it's so brief and so perfect. Like there isn't a yeah. misplaced second. <laughs> With, not to say that there is a misplaced second on album or Father Son Holy Ghost, but it's just like it's its own thing no one was putting out six song EPs that were that significant you know yeah. it just I don't know and Carolina is like yeah, is the one for me I still I remember Carolina. Yeah, I remember seeing you guys at Great American Music Hall up here and it was before Broken Dreams Club came out and I think you closed with Carolina or it was somewhere towards the end and I'd never heard it before and it was just like man
1: yeah yeah it was a good song yeah, yeah. they were just yeah it was like uh, the songs that we had started to play live yeah <laughs> and we wanted we wanted them to be on the record and we had the time sure but i think the main thing that changed with the sound was we, we really tried to include the like the live band the like whole band the, the guys that played on it were the guys playing touring touring with us right so.
0: yeah there's a bunch of great studio shots yeah. on the um yeah the insert just exactly. everyone in the studio hanging out together
1: yeah. and like it, it does affect the sound like it's on album there's no official drummer there's a drummer that comes in here and there but mostly it's me playing that's you on the kit for most of it no like hand (laughs) there's only a couple songs where it's full on like an an actual kit yeah and uh they're they're different people too various people for each one right so Garrett the drummer on Mm -hmm. on Broken Street for me is like you can really tell the difference he's like you can hear him throughout it's like that's a consistency that wasn't on before right
0: this is one person's contribution yeah and he has a
1: certain style you can hear it yeah and then, uh, yeah, we had a keyboard player now. So there's yeah know, Matt it, Kalman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it changed for me. It, I can hear the difference, and and the the difference that exists for me is you can hear the band, and it's a bit more of a band record than right the first one than the first one, which is more like a you know. Couple of people, like a you know, recording adventure between right. two different people, and some other people Something here and there,
0: not but, too far off from what like Ariel was doing yeah, initially. Yeah, yeah. higher five still.
1: Bit, to me, a little bit. We're all all over the place, but uh, but it's interesting that for you, the other ones. I can hear the consistency of the band, but I can, I you know, it's interesting that for you, it's different it's in just, other ways. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the
0: band sounds super tight. I just, I'm always thrilled to hear how masterful it all sounded I think that yeah. quickly which I feel like I mean you obviously know but I mean Chet seemed like he was just kind of already in like complete control of like all his powers at that moment in time yeah. in the studio Except he
1: was like totally vacant for Carolina which yeah. is just funny <laughs> it's like uh, until the second half where the yeah. then he plays on it but he didn't even want to play that baseline.
0: Really, <laughs> like, he just didn't want. He
1: was embarrassed, or like he, bat- pushed, he or? played it, and I was like, "That's awesome." He didn't like it, but he did it wow. to be nice. You were right, <laughs> but but um, but before that, on the first whole two thirds of it, yeah, it's just a keyboard. Really, wow. It was that the the guy uh, JJ, whose studio it was uh-huh. that was that was really a lot of his work, um, Carolina. We him and I spent a whole day in there, recording stuff. Uh, and then slowing the tape down to half speed, so there's like these bells you hear. Yeah. They're like actually like, ding dong dong, <laughs> but then you slow it down. They're like dong. Yeah, they dong. sound like church bells. Or All that something. kind of shit it was just me and JJ doing. And Jr. was frustrated with that song. Yeah, and it was just like, "I'm out of here." Really? Yeah. It has always seemed to me like, but he, but he, he was really, Jr. like, stamp is on uh, the first song of "So Protectable." Oh, yeah. He yeah. was like, that was a big deal for him. Oh, it sounds. He really wanted to have like trumpets and all that. Yeah. Well, and that's part of it. Really. And the, the trombone player was was one of my friends from the jazz nights that I was oh, that about. you were talking about yeah. earlier.
0: Wow, small world. Uh, well I, anyways I mean that's just fascinating to because Carolina is just such a huge song you know yeah. I think it's up there with Hell Rat Race and Vomit and Forgiveness that are like just these enormous they, they remind me of like Guernica just like landscape m- like extraordinary widescreen kind of songs which yeah. I always associate with like that seems like yeah, the yeah. thing that J.R. would have tried to do in the studio so hearing that he was frustrated with Carolina it's just that's yeah, interesting
1: yeah yeah he didn't know what to do with it he was like <laughs> I'm not, I mean we tried some stuff and it wasn't working, and it was, it was our first time in a studio too, so it was different. You right. Know, like, I guess just because it was JJ's studio and he w- he had to be there, he'd been hired, you know. Right. Uh, it was good. It was a good thing because we were running out of time and it, sure he just like took over helped you get to the finish line. But but um, JR would help with like develop. I mean, the whole the live way we played it before then right. was a little bit different. But it was essentially what you hear in the beginning. Like, uh, it was essentially the the majority of the song was something we'd worked out live, and that was like just Jr. and I, you know, putting it together. So sure. he, it is his sound in a lot of ways in the beginning, right? But uh, he knew he didn't have to deal with it at right. that point. So <laughs> he's like, "I'll come and play bang bass when you're ready." You know? <laughs> but uh, Broken Dreams Club was the first time ever that. We recorded me and uh, Garrett playing drums live at the same time because we didn't want to have a click track, right? Just to like, because it's such an odd song. Sure. Like, this song "Broken Dreams Club," yeah. Yeah. To put like a click track on it would have like made it because I kind of stop and, and go when I sing it, right? So we did it just live together, and we'd never done that before. Man, a lot, a lot of cool things like that. I think for us for both J.R. and I the exciting thing was like getting the trumpets and trombone players. Like just being able to do things like that. We'd never we'd never been able to call somebody and be like, We have three hundred dollars for you to come play play a your, horn. Your, yeah. So we did that and it was fun. Oh,
0: that's so that's so great.
1: And then like I think Jr. got more involved in the mixing. I don't I don't do any of anything with that stuff. Right. So I think he kind of he puts his sound on it more than then at that point mean, yeah, yeah. after
0: the songs have actually, yeah. after the music has been recorded
1: yeah because he, like he, him and i both we wouldn't be like you have to play this to the musician sure you just want to let them play their thing do their so thing and then it wasn't out like after that yeah we weren't writing out sheet music and neither of us ever did that right i think this his sound is more mixed in the mix and like effects and makes sense making choices like that like
0: Father Son Holy Ghost, similar kind of thing, where no, totally,
1: totally different. Totally different. <laughs> How yeah. so? Well, Father Son Holy Ghost. Before we went into it, I was like, I was like, we have to get a Grammy. A Grammy? Yeah, I believed we could get a Grammy. Like, I really believed that. We'd just been touring for a couple of years on the two records, and right. I'd seen all the other bands out there, and I really believed we should get a Grammy for Best New Artist. And I believed, you know, Jr. could produce it. I, I believed in the whole, the whole group. You know, we could go do this. And I had so many songs at that point. We 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 picked them out as a group. John ever, John was a band member at the time. Um, it was like out of like 30 songs, we were like, these are the ones. And so Jr. was like, I found this guy. He's he's won a Grammy before. And he worked on Elliott Smith Records, and I was like, "I'm cool, hire him. Is this Doug Bohm? Yeah. So, But when Doug showed up, it's like he was in charge, you know? And it made sense. He was hired to be. You sure, know? sure. Um, he, like, made us do rehearsals. <laughs> we were like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I would, like, not sing and stuff. I'd be like, I don't know what you're doing, man. He's like, this is for me, so I know the song. Like, okay, but um, but you know, it was, by the time we actually recorded, I think he understood. Okay, this is how these guys work, and he sure. worked with us how he would normally work. But like, uh, Jr. found the studio to work. He picked out the studio to work in. It was in the Tenderloin, not a professional studio. It was just somebody's private thing they'd Space. built, yeah, and uh, a lot of really cool gear and like. And then Doug was like the, the main producer on it, you know, so it was it was a lot of like him and J R back and forth back kind of back and thing. forth and working out where to go and stuff. For me it was kind of the same business as usual. But also whole nother random, you know, car wild card is the drummer, Darren, was you know, just a level of amazing that we hadn't it was different. I loved playing with Garrett. What I loved about Garrett was his looseness. You know, like when I listen to Broken Dreams, I love his drumming because it's just a certain sound. Sure, sure. But then Derek was like a... He'd write everything out in a notebook and he was just like... Tight, professional kind yeah. of. Yeah. I mean, and his personality too. So I mean, that was... When you add him in there. And then we'd never recorded with John. And a whole nother beast... I mean, I think John quit like six times, and 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 Doug would get him back in because Jr. and him would go at it, and like you know little things like he. It's just a lot of new new people for the first time together. Of course. And uh, it was just crazy, but it sounds the way it does because because I mean John is all John is like a huge sound in that record. Like to me, like it sounds that way. It sounds that like great. Cause John is that epic, and then like Darren's drumming is that epic. Um, and also, we had a fucking Danny Eisenberg, who I would play a lot with later. Mm-hmm. Amazing keyboard player comes in, and when I heard his chops, woo, we put him on so much. We put him on twice the amount of things, and and we didn't tell him what to play either. That's all him. Sure. It's just a lot of amazing people. And, scratch and, uh, one. And, and Doug would basically be like, "No, Jr., we're not putting a, a microphone in the bathroom to hear how it sounds. <laughs> we're just going to do it this way." And, and he would be like, okay, you know, he learned, I think they, I remember afterwards he was like, oh, he was like, I remember a lot of what I learned in engineering school from working with Doug. Like, there's a reason why you learn those things. Because <laughs> before it was kind of all about like, let's, you know, let's put a distortion pedal on, on a, you know, on your vocal. Right.
0: <laughs> Just see how it sounds. Just, yeah. A
1: lot of playing around. Right. But like. He was like, "Yeah, you basically learn like what gets, gets the best results in in school, and that's what Doug was doing." Sure. So, and 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 when you listen to Tobias Tobias's record, mm-hmm. there's no full, there's no microphone in the toilet shit. Right. It's all straightforward. It's very classical sound. And yeah. it, and so I think it was important for JR. Did you have that experience? Wow. But he hired him, and uh, I think that was an adventure for him having somebody else who was just like, "No, we're not going to do that." Also, calling the shots. I, they would, they would yeah. kind of kind of get edgy at sure, points sure. But, but they worked it out and uh, Doug remained a friend you know until now he's he never they never had a falling out either sure but um yeah Danny the, the musicians on that is is what makes it what it is Doug just kind of played it played it classic, classic made it sound good you know right and just let and, and the musicians are what makes it amazing and the, song, and the songs and the musicians oh, yeah, the songs do um, so the the only other thing About Broken Dream, I mean, uh, Father Son Holy Ghost, that was significantly different was uh, we wanted to have backup, uh, we wanted backing vocals and I wanted a certain, I I said like gospel sounding. Sure, absolutely. And uh, it really reminds me just uh, as someone
0: who's done a Bob Dylan podcast for a couple of years, it really reminds me of the sound he did in like the Christian era, you know, like Slow Train and Saved, like it's the same exact kind of sound and feeling that you get from that music.
1: Yeah, yeah. And people, people say like the uh, the Pink Floyd songs, you right? Know. But uh, they were. I didn't have any specific people that I knew or anything. Right. Um, Doug knew those girls from L.A. and brought them in, and, and they were the ones that would go on the to tour with you guys. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, like I said, there, that was a game changer when people heard that. Sure. Like it, it was. It's no small event. Like. When vomit came out, that was what was written about. You know, like right. oh my god! And then these girls, and on the shows when they would sing, it was a huge steal. I mean, yeah. So yeah, the people, the people that were playing that were playing with us at that point, were all really amazing and yeah, and helped make it sound really really great. Unfortunately, John quit by the end of the recording session. Sure. Well, <laughs> you know, it sounds but, like there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen. But uh, but then. Darren, the drummer, was like, my brother plays guitar. Sure. And two weeks later, Evan was in there playing. He could play all three records. Just like that? Yeah. Wow. So he was amazing. Only, we, we only had really good experiences with everybody we played with. It sounds like I it. I just wish we could have had our own band. You know, like, even Darren was, had his own Project Papa. And like, right. Just everybody we played with was kind of already doing something else or wanting to do something else. And, wasn't like uh, it wasn't like for us where it was like this is the only thing we're doing right you know. yeah. because that when you have that you have so much more input you know so much more like uh, growth as a band sure You're sure not starting from square one
0: every time yeah. every tour that makes sense that makes total sense well so the record came out like fall that was again just like a year after Broken Dreams Club right. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Yeah, yeah. And then you guys toured until the spring. Yeah. And you put, like, Primavera was one of your last shows, right? Yeah. And then in June or something, some, sometime in the summer, yeah. then you just kind of yeah. called
1: it. It was like John John not being a part of it, you know. Um, Jr. expressed... Wanting to uh, replace Evan and Matt Coleman, and Darren was leaving to do his new band. Sure. And I was like, I'm tired of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't want to be teaching somebody how to play Less for Life again. Right. <laughs> for like, uh, you know, six years of. I get that. But, yeah. It just felt like uh, trying to force uh, something that wasn't happening. Sure. You know? And, and you know, I don't want to talk too much for other people, but junior didn't really enjoy being on the road very right. much. He, he, like, didn't enjoy the traveling. And, and I knew he could really, I mean, not only be happy, but, like, he should have been. Like, not only me, everybody knows he should have been in a studio with, with new bands every month. You know, sure, like, sure. one of these guys that does really well that... He would have been perfect at that, so uh, I thought that was what we'd go do. You know, right. like I would, I would go have a solo career, and he would do that. But uh, regardless, I think girls just played its time. You know, sure. also we would talk. Jared and I would talk about this. Like, I don't want to be 40, 50 years old, with a band called Girls. Like, right you know, putting out songs with girls' names and, like, pictures. Of, you know, its That's for kids, you know? Sure. It was time for me to do something else.
0: That makes sense. So do you not then have any... Because, like, you know, there's a bunch of... It's crazy, because, you know, I'm like... I'm 30 at this point, and I was, like, you know, 18 or something when girls really, you know, blew my mind. But a lot of the bands from around that same time who never reached... Anywhere, nearly the heights that you guys did, are doing like you know, ten and fifteen year like reunion tour kind of. Sh- do you not have any sort of feelings like that about the girls catalog? It'll never happen. No,
1: I mean, no, never. Yeah. It, even even when Jr. was still with us, sure, we both would have said never. Yeah. But I mean, especially now, right? I would never do that with anybody else. I I still play the songs. You know, yeah. I don't know if people. Have seen solo shows, but they're my songs and I still play them. And like I've done tours where, you know, John was there, Danny mm-hmm. Eisenberg, the keyboard player, mm-hmm. for the first time I had like the actual father, son, Holy Ghost lineup, yeah. Lineup, except for uh, the drummer and, and JR. And, JR. and, uh, and uh, it sounded amazing. So people can hear the songs. It just won't be billed as like a, a girls, girls' thing. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. There's no need to do it. And it wouldn't be anything different than what I already do. Than what you already do. You know? Yeah. I wouldn't do it just for, just, just only alone, just because JR wouldn't be there. And sure. I think that, that kind of stuff is just like a little bit played out too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just I mean, in general. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes yeah. it's really nice to see. But, but only if those people aren't really playing, you know? Like yeah. If they're already playing in some other fashion, then it's like, Might as well just go see that. Yeah, I agree.
0: And I mean, it also needs to be. I don't know. It needs to be worth it, as far as I'm concerned. Just like your random whatever album that came out in 2011. Who gives a shit? But you know. (laughs) Um, so after the band, yeah, you like went right back into the studio and cut Listener. Yeah. And then that was out like again like a year after Father Son Holy Ghost came out. Yeah. And that was a really different kind of like, sound and feel and vibe. Yeah. I was just listening to it last night for the first time in a while, and it sounds amazing. Yeah, it
1: does. It's amazing. It's, it's, I can't find a problem with it. Like, it's, I mean, it's it's an absolute. I'm really, really proud of that record. It's an absolute delight. And and it, it's written, like, in or It's written as a story. A whole song cycle, yeah. And it and, it's, a, for me, like, it's a major achievement. Like, it's all in one key. Mm-hmm. To have, so that the interlude can play in between everything, and you got the, the like, like not, the theme that kind of returns yeah. again and again. Throughout. It was like a to write that, like it was basically like writing an album at once, and like, right. It was a challenge. It was good, it, like I feel like it was a really well done
0: thing. I think no, I think it's an extraordinary record, and I still remember I came up, I, you know, I was in Los Angeles at the time, but I came up here. You play. You played it for the first time oh, yeah. on like a stage. Did you see that show? I saw that oh my show. God. Yeah. I still have the pro. I almost oh going to bring it. I have the program from that show. How did you like? Was that show good? It was amazing because it was like it yeah. was. It, there was like a set behind you yeah. guys, and everyone was all done up in these. Like I mean, beautiful the, the, outfits the and stuff. Was,
1: Yeah, that was that existed there already. Sure, I know, but yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, it well, was we picked it for that, but uh, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just it was. Uh, it it seemed like I mean. What's yeah, so great like, about the girls' records, obviously, is just like every year with every record you just topped yourself again and again. And that's, and listeners seemed like you were doing it again.
1: Yeah, except the status quo hated it. Right. For whatever reason. It wasn't cool. Right. Yeah, I kind of I – was, I was thinking
0: about that. I didn't expect
1: that. it to be as liked. Right. I thought it would be a little bit low-key. Right. But I didn't think people would like panic, go out of their way to panic. People were like <laughs> making fun of my hair on, right. the, on, the, on, on the, the cover. cover. As as like that's your comment on the record. That's so ridiculous. You know, you're supposed to be the premium uh, music journalism. Right. Give me a break. (laughs) Jesus. Like, adults were telling me to get my hair out of my face when I was like ten years old. You know, come on, man. That's that's you're officially a square. You're telling people (laughs) to get their hair. (laughs) Get a haircut, hippie. Um,
0: yeah, I was I was thinking about it because I I I read some of the reviews of, of it too, and I mean, what sort of Struck me was like I mean, it, listeners like a really happy kind of sounding record, mm. and I know it's about yeah. like a you yeah, know a, a part, fleeting yeah. relationship you had, but it, well, it's um, yeah, I mean,
1: really about it's really about the first tour, right? Yeah. I mean, it's
0: it just it's a it doesn't have that same level of like you know tortured you know ripping yeah. your heart out of your chest kind of feeling that so much of the girl stuff had, and I was thinking about it for the first time really, and, and I you know kind of I came to the conclusion at least that people in the music industry at that time, we're like expecting one particular type Uh, of thing from Christopher Owens. Every single time. Amazing.
1: Like shoegazing
0: sounding. Shoegazing sounding thing. Exactly. And then songs, like you know, my ma and vomit and, and substance on every record. And so for you to be doing
1: something new and different and
0: unfamiliar for people, I think.
1: Yeah. But I mean, part of me is an amazing song. Of course. Um, here there's, we go. There's amazing songs on there. Yeah. There were songs we, we used to play as, as girls right. that people loved. On there. And then, you know, now they weren't girl songs. Now it wasn't girls they didn't anymore. care. Yeah. But but but, you know, I've made to I've meet hundreds and hundreds of kids that love that album, so I don't care, you know. Um, I just wish they would have like taken it seriously. It, you can just see that was that was an eye opening experience. Right. To see how much of an agenda there is right and even I even talked to this journalist that I got interviewed by so many times and I was like I don't understand you know and he was like he was like specifically about a certain he was like so and so is a fair weather friend buddy and I was like yeah that's very true the re- that record is ab- is about the tour the first tour that our band did right and then this amazing thing happens where I meet this girl and I was not expecting that and it is like it becomes like you know romantically charged and like the 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 gem of, of a thing inside of the, the story for me and so I title it after her but then uh, by the end of the record it's like it, it's like uh, acknowledgement that those things come and go right and it's so sort of like the part of me is gone, you know. Part of me is gone, yeah. And I did that specifically as a commentary on, on the girls experience. Like it's about the first girls tour, but it's also about girls. Right. And nobody nobody even like they didn't even try to see that, you know, like I was making really profound commentary on on what on what was happening. What you had gone through. And nobody nobody even thought to to think about that or care about, you know. Right. So interesting to see but i mean i don't that was a challenge I, I i remember feeling kind of uh pushed under the rug or whatever i can imagine but um it also sort of tough toughened me up you know i'd only had good good uh comments from people before that so right i didn't want to be like too sensitive about it you know? sure so instead of sort of be like okay people don't like it um but to have that keep happening was, was weird for me you right
0: know, I, yeah because even you put out a New Testament a year after I, that yeah but which I st- is also yeah. a fantastic record I stand record.
1: by it though I don't give a fuck you know like no, I, I love those, every record I
0: think both of those records are fantastic yeah. and I think
1: plenty of people do too yeah
0: <laughs> um, and I think you know I don't know it might be a silver lining to even think of but uh, you know I just uh, over time I think oh, they're, yeah. no, they're I believe going yeah. too and already I, mean, I don't know
1: yeah, that you're right. Uh, I've always said that to myself too. Yeah, it's, there's a bigger picture that you can't really see from here. Sure. But but um, you know, I think people don't understand like that. If you want some variety, like you know, if you if you don't want to just like I just wasn't cut out to like do the same thing. Do the same again thing every, every it out. Like, you can hear that on the first record. Right. You can. Hear, that's the first thing that people wrote about. They were like, this is awesome these guys just do whatever they want yeah there's like six different they, bands on this one record hello I'm still doing that right you know so like it's. I don't think it should have been such a surprise no
0: I, it, I mean to me it wasn't yeah, you know yeah. to go from Father Son Holy Ghost this just like extraordinary you know yeah. classical Grammy kind of sounding record to yeah. listener to, to a New Testament all, in two years basically that's extraordinary I just you know I
1: wish more people had seen it at the time yeah yeah uh, yeah, hopefully, if I can get back to work soon and uh, and have records that people like and you know keep going, I don't think people really pay attention to how much certain records weren't liked or like you know? Right, it just kind of goes away. No, of course, but it's, it's hard to go through while it's happening at the time. I can imagine. But uh, it goes away. You know, it becomes it becomes sort of meaningless. Whereas the things that people do like. Uh, you know, those will always be. That'll always be there. You, you don't. That doesn't go away. Of know? course. So, yeah, it's yeah. Nobody no. wants to go through that shit, but <laughs> at the same time, I don't think it's. Uh, I think if I was to be like throwing a fit about it and and be like, I'm not going to play anymore. These people don't deserve it. You know. Right. You know, you're just going to talk shit like fuck you. Then I wouldn't really be mature enough to be deserving of, you know, the the, the attention and the, the pla- you know, to do this at all. So. Sure. Well, no, that's a really gracious and... Well, it's true. I, think, I
0: mean, you know. I, no, I, I I agree with you, but I, I feel like there's a lot of people <laughs> that have gone through similar things and
1: don't have that opinion yeah. on things yeah. the way that you do. I was trying to think of, like, somebody who did that, but I, I don't know. I can't think of anybody exactly... Well, yeah, you know, I'm sure. Yeah, you do. I do hear people. They get pretty upset if something's not liked. Sure. Um, But then you know, because like I have a lot of friends that are kind of on the verge of doing big things, and you know, they'll tell me, I don't know why people didn't like what I did here there, and it's really hard for me because I don't, I want them to have success. Right. And I don't know where they, where you know, it didn't hit or whatever. So I don't know what to say, right? But yeah, I mean, uh, it should it shouldn't stop you, and so it, sh- it shouldn't stop me. So just got to keep on trying. The, I think the pandemic was harder than that stuff, you know, sure. just like not being able to do it at all, for right? A few yeah, years. I mean, for
0: a live musician, especially someone who you know. Obviously, feeds off yeah. of the energy of those I mean, I around out, you. I was
1: out playing guitar on the sidewalks, right? Just because I had
0: to play. I, I saw you outside of Zeitgeist at, at one point. I almost came up to you, and I, you know, didn't because I was embarrassed. Yeah. I have a hard time <laughs> talking to people. But outside of Zeitgeist, don't you? yeah, playing or just standing there. You you had your guitar, and you you were like kind of like halfway playing huh. and like yeah, yeah. walking around. Oh, I was walking. Okay, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, no, I would play like for hours. By the in between Dolores Park and like on 18th by sure. by right you know that yeah, yeah, yeah right there There's really good traffic there yeah it's a beautiful little corner it's my favorite spot yeah well I don't I play like farther down inside this garage they let me nobody complains there so hang out there yeah. yeah well I mean no one should complain they got Christopher Owens <laughs> playing live for them well just I mean, out but, in the city but of these San people Francisco. like they have no idea right now yeah. like the people that live there of course so I'm expecting like oh can you move and I would move obviously right. But I've had them. They come down and like give me money. Like, they like it. Yeah, that's the that's the least they can do. That that was nice just to keep just to like get more guitar playing sure, keep skills your in. Yeah, in. I got better too. I I wasn't. I've always relied a lot on the other guitarists to get things done. But right, I feel like now I can do more. We'll see. <laughs> no. We'll see what happens.
0: I guess we'll see, yeah. You've been more than gracious with uh, your time here
1: tonight. Oh, well, I'm sorry about being late. I I was late, so. Don't worry about it, please. I I owe you. Don't worry about it.
0: Uh, Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. Be well. One's interview on Jokerman podcast. I want to thank Chris again from the bottom of my heart. Here could not, would not be the person I am today without him and Jr. and everything they were able to achieve together. You know, sometimes you start passing the hat at the gaslight in 1961, and 60 years later, you're still touring the world playing with your band in your 80s. Other times, usually, things are a little, little briefer, a little more fleeting. But that doesn't mean that they don't mean, they can't mean just as much as anything else. And like Chris said, in our conversation, all of this music, the girls' records, the solo records, all the shows that he played, it all happened, it's all here, it always will have been here and be here for people into the future. And that is something no one can ever take away. Thanks again, Chris. You'll always be a part of me.